Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. First, I just want to thank Pastor Troy for the opportunity of uh, standing behind this pulpit and also the elders here at the church, but uh, also all of you who over the last uh, three or four months have welcomed Leonie and myself into uh, the fellowship here and we've really enjoyed our time and uh, we apologise in the early stages when we arrived that we brought La, La Nina with us or whatever his name was and uh, we had to keep putting our jackets on over a while but we now believe you that it is beautiful one day and awesome the next. Yes. Okay, we're finally starting to experience that. So this morning I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke, but before I do that, uh, before I read that text to you, I want to ask maybe a question that I have struggled with over the years, and it happens to do in our, with, in our home, it happens to do with a cupboard, it happens to do with a wardrobe, it happens to do with the fridge, and it goes something like this. I go to our wardrobe to look for a coat and I just can't find it. And so I yell out to Leone, where's my coat? She goes, it's hanging up on the left-hand side in the wardrobe. I go looking for it again and it's just not there. And I think to myself, why does she not tell me the truth? Like, she's given it to the salvos, she's given it away to somebody and... Uh, so then I'm standing in there and I'm getting quite uptight about it. Lonnie, can you please come? Because I'm telling you, my jacket is not here. And she wanders in and goes like this, pulls the jacket off. It, it magically appears in her hand and then just hands it to me. And then I go to the fridge and I'm looking for the tomato sauce in the fridge. Leonie, where's the tomato sauce? Did you not buy tomato sauce this week in the groceries? And uh, she'd go, no, it's in the left-hand side of the fridge where it's been for 35 years. <laughs> and I go back in there and I open the fridge and I look in there and uh, guess what? There's no tomato sauce. It's disappeared. The, the, uh, the fairies have been involved again in our fridge. And so I go, Lone, it's not there. You must have forgot to buy sauce. And she'll come across and she opens the fridge and she magically puts her hand into the fridge and guess what she comes out with? The sauce. It happens all the time in our home that things just disappear and all of a sudden they magically appear again in her hands. I don't know whether there's something very, very scary about this woman. <laughs> but I notice as I share that story, there's a whole bunch of women sitting here going, he's talking about you. <laughs> he's talking about you. That's what you do all the time. That there's something there right in front of our eyes, but we just can't see it. Do you know, the passage of scripture that I want to share with you today, I think is a bit like that. 
See, I've discovered that some of those things that happen in our natural world are evident in the spiritual world. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, and hopefully it's on the screen for you as well, but Jesus is actually dealing with an issue and he calls it the blindness of this generation. The blindness of this generation. That there's things going on in front of their very eyes, but they just can't see it. It says, as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give to them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. And what happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. The Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here. But you refuse to listen. The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. In my conversations over the last couple of years with people, I've discovered that there's a new language that is coming from people even within the church. And it goes something like this, if that's true, prove it to me. If it's true, prove it to me. And so we've got a whole generation that are screaming out for some sort of evidence that what they've committed their lives to is worthwhile. Jesus actually says it like this in verse 29. As the crowd pressed in on him, he said, This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Now this particular narrative follows on from a really rigorous conversation that Jesus uh, is having around casting out a demon from a mute man. And this resulted, when Jesus cast out the demon, that this man could now speak. Pretty miraculous, I think. But there's this group of people who have seen this miraculous thing happen and they accuse Jesus of being the devil. And then there's this other group of people who have watched this miraculous thing happen and they're standing on the other side and they're saying, well, if it really is real and if you are the son of God, give us a sign. We want to miraculous sign. I don't know about you, but I think casting out a demon and a man so a man could speak would be pretty impressive, eh? I'd be happy with that. But no, Jesus' critics were persistent. They wanted something so remarkable, so outstanding that there'd be no question 
that Jesus was sent from God. Do you know, we often look back on stories like this and we think to ourselves, I'd be different than that. If I had walked in Jesus' time, I would have understood what was going on. I wouldn't have questioned. I wouldn't have picked up sides. I wouldn't have been a critic. But the reality is, in our generation, most of us are critics because we want more of this or we want more of that. And that's what Jesus is trying to address in his conversation here with these people. See, Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two. It said, It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when you preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. How sad is that? But we see it played out in our generation as well. Tim shared earlier around communion. What's the greatest story that's ever happened on this planet is Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. That should be enough for anybody. But we're always crying out. We want a sign. We want you to prove this. We want you to prove that. And really what it's doing is it's just speaking, if you like, to us and what we need and what we want rather than what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus actually looks at this whole group, this crowd, and he says, the only sign I will give you is a sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign of the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. And what happens to the Son of Man will be the sign to these people that he was sent by God. Think about this for a moment. This group are crying out for a sign. And think about Jesus' life, because this crowd has followed Jesus all over the place. And they say, we want a sign. What's Jesus done? He's cast out demons. He's multiplied food. He's raised people from the dead. He's healed hundreds from diseases. And then he threw in that walking on water thing. <laughs> and they sit there going, we want a sign. See, no matter what they saw, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see who Jesus really was in the midst of all the miraculous. And we sit there today and we say to ourselves, if there was just more of the miraculous happen in the church, people would flock to the church. Not true. Just not true. Because that generation is the same as our generation. So if you haven't read the book of Jonah then, I encourage you to do that maybe this week. Four chapters. Take you a few minutes to read through it. 
And the story of, uh, of the prophet Jonah is one who is called by God to preach repentance to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Israel's arch enemy, Assyria. And I'm talking arch enemy. They hated the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were actually not just feared by the Jewish people, they were feared by all around because they would go in and they would destroy cities, but not just destroy the cities, they would kill everybody in the cities. They were a very brutal group of people. And so Jonah gets this command from God to go to Nineveh to preach repentance. Think about that for a moment. The people that hate you and you hate the most, God says, go and preach to them. And not only preach to them, tell them to stop doing what they're doing and repent and turn their ways, turn from their ways and believe in the one and only true God. Oh, Jonah was really excited about that command. See, Nineveh is what we understand today as modern-day Iran. Jonah goes down to the water obediently to buy a ticket to jump on a boat. But he doesn't buy a ticket to head towards Nineveh. He buys a ticket to actually go in the other direction. He jumps on a boat that's going to Tarsus, which is actually modern-day Spain, a long way from Nineveh. He's out of there. And then God causes this great storm. And Jonah admits his guilt to all the sailors that are on the boat. And he's thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a big fish. And he's in the fish's belly for three days and then he vomited up onto the shore. He's had enough. God's got his way. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, still filled with bitterness and anger, but out of obedience, he preaches repentance to those people. And the amazing result is there is wholesale repentance in the land. It's an incredible story. These wicked, horrible people turn from their ways. And God turns his anger from the people as well. You think Jonah would be so excited. So excited at the way God works. So excited at the miraculous that he's been a part of. But we find in the story that Jonah ends up sitting under a withered bush, whinging, angry, disappointed in God. For why would, why would God do something so amazing to these people who were so terrible? So why does Jesus quote this story? Why does he quote this story as the last sign? The last sign. 
the sign of Jonah given to Jesus' generation. I I think the first comparison would be both Jonah and Jesus were called to to preach the gospel of repentance. That's the main thing that you see here at the start of this story. Just as Jonah's preached, repent and be saved, the same words that Jesus preached, repent and be saved. And then we come to this other comparison, this major comparison, that Jonah, three days in the fish's stomach, and Jesus' death and burial in the tomb to be raised to life on the third day. The gospel. How amazing is the gospel? Do you know, we, we live with this, the greatest story ever told. And so often we don't grasp just how amazing it is. How incredible God is that he would reach out to you. A sinner. And he'd reach out to me, a sinner, with this amazing message of hope. And all I have to do is to believe, to receive by faith. The grace of God has been poured out upon us. I don't need any other sign other than that. That the grace of God has been poured out on us. But see, I notice here that this suggestion of preaching repentance wasn't enough of a sign to convince these people. It wasn't enough of a sign for these people to see Jesus in their midst speaking to them. And it got me thinking that even the message of repentance today as we preach it, it's not enough of a sign, it's not enough of a challenge, it's not enough of a stirring for so many people to embrace and be invited. And here's the, here's the challenge for us. How do we preach the gospel in its fullness without diminishing the gospel? That's the challenge for the church today. There's only one gospel. The sign of Jonah. The crucified, the resurrected Christ for those that believe in him. And we have to be very careful that we don't try to preach a gospel that is more palatable for people than what it truly is. It's not easy, is it? See, Matthew's gospel spells out the comparison with great clarity. Matthew 12, verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah is the sign of the resurrection. And then Jesus includes, because he's probably looking at their faces, thinking they still haven't got it. (laughs) 
And I understand that because there's so many times I feel like Jesus talks to me and I go, huh? I'm reading through a passage of scripture in his word and it's like, huh? I don't quite understand that. And he tells another story to this, this two, these two groups. In verse 42, he tells the story of the Queen of Sheba. He says, the Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. Jesus is actually saying Solomon was an incredibly wise God. But I'm smarter than Solomon. That I'm wiser than Solomon. And you are sitting here in this crowd listening to wisdom that is greater than Solomon. And you don't understand it. See, the Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's wisdom. And she made her way to visit Solomon. And she had a whole stack of questions that she wanted to ask him. And every question that she had... He, he answered that question above what he, she was probably even expecting him to say. And he was so, she was so overwhelmed by what she heard from Solomon and what she saw in the city in such a way that it took her attention that she believed in Solomon's God. See, Jesus says here, that Sheba will condemn the unbelievers on the day of judgment. What it's saying there is that she actually responded. It doesn't say that in the, in, in, in the Bible, that she accepted God. But if you do an historical look at it, you'll discover that the Queen of Sheba was most probably the Queen of Ethiopia and the Jewish faith actually broke out in that nation. And it's where the Orthodox Church has come from. And Jesus is saying, she got it. She understands it. I think what Jesus' major statement here is, he's saying that even the unbelievers get it. The unbelievers can see it. The, those foreigners that you have nothing to do with, the ones that you actually see as unclean, those ones from Nineveh, they got it. The Queen of Sheba from Ethiopia, she got it. And here you are, my people, the Jewish people, sitting in a crowd listening to the wisdom, seeing the miracles happen, hearing the gospel of repentance preached, and you just can't see it. How sad it is. How sad it is when people hear this amazing message and it's met with resistance rather than repentance. Met with resistance rather than repentance. In John 1.10 it says, He came into the very world 
he created. But the world didn't recognise him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Amen. We are children of God. Jesus paved the way for the right for us to become children of God. Think about that for a moment. Let that wash over you. Let that sink into your heart. Because when you become the children of God, you receive the inheritance of the Father who is bestowing upon you that you are his child. Think about what becomes available to us as children of God. And so if someone wants to talk to you today about whether Jesus is real, whether the gospel message is real, we get in those conversations with people that believe it's some sort of myth that, uh, or some magical story that we've been sucked in by and all that sort of stuff. How do we actually respond to that? You know, the first thing for me is that when I was searching and became evident to me because I was the, I was the person that would go looking for Christians and ask them questions. Not so I could find out what the truth was, but so I would annoy them and make them upset. That was my job. And I used to work with a whole bunch of Christians. I worked in a Christian business. So I had plenty of them to play with. And I would stir them up and get stuck into them. Jesus always has the last laugh. Always has the last laugh. But the thing that got me was this. The evidence that leads to an historical Jesus, firstly. See, this incredible event is not just recorded in the Bible. It's recorded by writings from others and just Jewish people trying to affirm their story. There was a Roman historian called Josephus. This is what he wrote. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. And on the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Written by a Roman historian about Jesus. Historical evidence. And secondly, and the most important, is the witness of the resurrection. I'm going to ask the music team to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, I passed on to you what was, the mo- what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter 
and then by 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers, at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though uh, I had been born at the wrong time, this is Paul speaking, he says, I also saw him. I also saw him. Can you see it? Can you see it? How awesome God is. How real God is. How majestic God is. How gracious God is. Can you see it? Why would anybody lay down their life for a lie? They saw the resurrected Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus affirms the words that are written in this book. It's truth. The challenge for me today and the challenge for you is what do we do with this truth? As I mentioned earlier, don't allow the negativity of the world. Don't allow the world to sow seeds of doubt. Don't allow the situations that you find yourself in to diminish the majesty of who God is in your life and what he wants to do in your life. Here's a bit of truth for you to take home today. You can be right in the midst of God's will and be very uncomfortable. We're looking to be right in the midst of God's will and it'll all be roses. Ask the disciples. Have a conversation with the apostles. Have a look at those in the early church. I have conversations with people that go, oh, boy, I would have loved to have lived at Pentecost. No, you wouldn't have. Might have started out a party, ended up a funeral for many, 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 many people. Because of what they believed, because they saw it, they were prepared to die for it. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, will you obey my commandments? And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and he doesn't recognise and doesn't recognise him. But do you know him? Because he lives with you and he later will be in you. See, Pentecost. And later he'll be in you.
I wonder how many times the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And I sense this morning in this service that God has been leading us to this moment where the Spirit of God has been stirring some stuff within us, just revealing himself to us. And I'm not talking about charismatic stuff or Pentecostal stuff or evangelical stuff. You know, we like to box all this up in some place that we can kind of understand it or put a label on it. But I'm saying, can you see it? The resurrected Jesus living in you, working in you, comforting you, challenging you, teaching you. That's what Jesus said here. Helping us to obey what he actually says. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. In a moment, we're going to have our worship team just draw us back into that place. But as we step back into worship today, Father, I just ask that you would reveal to us what you're doing within our lives. Father, what you want to do within our lives. And Lord, if there's any doubt in anyone's mind today, or maybe there's someone in this place today that has never accepted you, you've never accepted the story, you sort of sat on the fringe. Holy Spirit, will you reveal that truth to them in this place? But for us that, that sit there at times and allow our situations to overwhelm us and to question, Father, would you just seal and stir something in us today by your Spirit that brings a confidence and a boldness in you to continue to walk with you, continue to trust you, to continue to step out with you so that the kingdom would continue to come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I just pray for each precious person here right now. In Jesus' name, amen.